It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello, I'm Kay Wenigal. Thanks for joining me on another Beyond Zero Science and Solutions show. This show is coming to you via the studios of 3CR Melbourne and is syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and rate us to help others find the show. For the next three weeks, I have the most entertaining guest, and one many of you will know. He is Robert Llewellyn, famous as Crichton in the TV series Red Dwarf and the founder of Fully Charged, the world's best clean energy and electric vehicle channel. Listen as he entertains us with his stories on Red Dwarf, Fully Charged, Tesla Roadster, Who Killed the Electric Car and Scrap Heap Challenge. Along the way, we'll find out how other countries are progressing with all types of electric mobility in their renewable energy transition. Hello, Robert. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Very kind of you to invite me. Thank you. You're well known for many reasons as a British actor, comedian, presenter and writer. You've been on a number of British TV shows and have written many books and produced video podcasts. And I first found out about you watching the sci-fi TV sitcom Red Dwarf, where you played the mechanoid Crichton. If you're not sick of talking about that, how did you get involved with Red Dwarf? Basically, I did a, a numerous plays that I wrote and performed in at the Edinburgh Festival during the 1980, late 70s, early uh, 1980s. And one of those plays, uh, a producer from the BBC came to see it and asked me if I wanted to be in this TV series called Red Dwarf, which I'd heard of, but I hadn't seen. Uh, and I knew a couple of people in it. And I, I said, well, I'm a bit busy. I can't believe that happened. I'm a bit busy with my own projects. <laughs> and I just want to point out that none of my own projects ever came to fruition in any way at all. Uh, and thankfully, I got talked into doing it. And I, well, it was really meeting the writers of Red Dwarf kind of completely changed my mind. They were so amazing. I love what they write. They're so clever. So it was a, it was a very... There was a very slim chance of me being in, in Red Dwarf, but that was so uh, now it's now 30, 32 years. So that is a remarkable experience and real joy. We have such fun working together. And you had such a talent to be a to be Crichton, the mechanism. I mean, it isn't, isn't it odd? I don't know how, because that, you know, I don't want to go on about it too much, but it's something I've, I have never wanted to be an actor. And I can say that in all honesty. It's not something that appeals to me. I find it terrifying, really difficult. I find learning lines very, very hard. Uh, and Crichton is is the kind of, you know, it's almost like a curse. Okay, you don't want to be an actor. You're going to be. <laughs> and we're going to cover you in rubber, <laughs> put you in a really hot, difficult costume and give you the hardest lines to learn that anyone's ever had. You know, it's like, oh, for goodness sake, it's so unfair. But when Scrap Heap Challenge came up, so after 10 years of uh, Red Dwarf, the same year, the, the last year we did a, a, a series of Red Dwarf for the BBC, which was 1998. I did the first series of a show called Scrap Heap Challenge for Channel 4 in this country. And that 
was a complete revelation because I'd always been in the background when I was doing Red Dwarf, I was fixing cars, mending cars. I had always had silly cars and that was stupid. And when I finally had some money from Red Dwarf and I was a massively amateur sort of mechanic, and I, but I could fix some things on vehicles and I understood how they worked. And so Scrap Heap was this wonderful combination of that interest and passion and and a, sh and a TV show and, and a, you know, a, a proper educational one that actually inspired you know, a generation of, of engineers. I mean, it is extraordinary. I still, to this day, meet people who sat with their dads, men and women, you know, uh, all, over the, all over the place I've met people, who are now work in engineering, real high-level engineering, proper stuff, aerospace engineering, transmission systems in the automotive industry and trucking and all that stuff, who watch Scrappy, and that's what they say, that's why I'm here, you know, which is, which is extraordinary. That's absolutely wonderful. I, I love to hear that. And yeah. But it, it boggles my mind to think that in the middle of you doing Red Dwarf, you were a petrol head, and then you came yeah. to start fully charged. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it was a slow, it wasn't a quick transition, but it was very, very connected with California. So we did four years of Scrap Heap Challenge in the UK, and then we did four years of Scrap Heap Challenge and, a, and the American show, which was called Junkyard Wars, which we made in California. So there was a kind of crossover period. The first two years I spent a lot of time in California uh, shooting that, both those series. And it was through that that I was meeting engineers and people, uh, you know, because all the people that worked on the show, the people were, were you'd hear, overhear a conversation, you know, we're working on the, on the software for the transmission system, the uh, battery management transition. And it meant nothing. It was like a foreign language. I went, what is, what's that? And you say, well, for electric, for electric cars, you know, and you go, they just sounded so naff to me. Yeah. It's just like, why bother? Like, is it, does it fly? Is it a flying car? That's space age. I want a flying car. Does it go underwater? <laughs> you know? No, it's just a car like any other car, but it's electric. So, you know, it's like, so what? I wasn't impressed. And I think it was probably 2001. So I just wasn't interested in it. But 2001, we were filming in a place called Ventura County, just north of Los Angeles. And we were filming in a, a stock car auditorium. I don't even know what it was, like a racetrack. I guess. And next to it was a drag strip, which I kind of understood drag strips. And there we could hear like Ferraris and Porsches and American muscle cars roaring up this drag strip, uh, which was nothing to do with us. And then in the lunchtime, a guy came over and said, come and they were fans of Junkyard Wars. And they said, come and see this car. And I yeah, really didn't want it. It was really hot. <laughs> and and I just wanted to have my lunch underneath the gazebo, you know. And, uh, so I went over and they put me in this car and I had a, you had to put a neck brace and a full face helmet. And you're boiling hot and they strap you in and then, oh God. And then I was waiting for the guy to start the car, you know, it's like a sports car, yellow open top sports car. So I was waiting for that sound, you know, that, nothing. I could hear birds singing and suddenly we just jolted down this road so fast I couldn't believe it. So this was a thing called the, the T0, which very sadly was burnt down in a fire not that long ago. So it doesn't exist anymore, this car. Mm. And it was where they tested out. They were basically testing out the drivetrain for what became the Tesla Roadster. So the electric motor and the axles and the gearbox and all that stuff was being tested in this vehicle. This is, yeah, I reckon 2001, it might have been 2001, 2002. So way before Tesla existed, before Elon Musk, Elon Musk was just a run-of-the-mill billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was a, a an extraordinary experience because that was a certainly a sub four second naught to sixty miles an hour, so very very fast acceleration. 
in a in a funny little car that made this funny little whining sound with no warning and no vrooming and no smoke. And I went, that's in, that is weird. But even that didn't kind of convince me because it was like a one-off freak weird thing. You know, it wasn't common. And so it took years, but I gradually then understood uh, the primary things that I, this is all people we met during this show. So we met two people who were connected to a team that we're working with who worked for the Californian Air Resources Board. And I just remember having this long conversation with them one afternoon about what they were doing and why they're trying to instigate this legislation to insist that car makers reduce the amount of CO2 and noxious gases coming out of their cars and that otherwise they can't sell them in California and all that stuff. Huge long history to that, which I had no idea, but that had already happened, the first wave of that with the, the GM uh, EV1 which there's a movie about, who killed the electric car. So that whole story, I was told sort of three years later, uh, I didn't know about that film. Uh, And then you go, oh, this is really, then it becomes really interesting. You go, oh, this is extraordinary, that the battle between the elected authority in in the most popular state in America and the automakers, and the automakers didn't acquiesce, I think we can say that. They fought the most vicious, brutal, lobbying and lies and very, very Trump-like aggression. They didn't go in like, well, we'd like to negotiate about this. We will smash you. You know, use those footage of guys freaking out at at, at Californian state hearings, screaming and shouting because they weren't allowed to sell a four and a half ton pickup for one man to drive down to the shops to buy a litre of milk. Yeah. You know, so it was it was a bitter battle, but they did win. And they were the people later. So those are the same people who discovered that shock to us all <laughs> um volkswagen diesels weren't as clean as advertised i mean who would have known that because yeah. i've always totally believed that diesel is the cleanest fuel on the planet just <laughs> just put your nose by a tailpipe and breathe yeah. it's it's beautiful it is and it was only volkswagen that had the problem no it was only volkswagen no one else went anywhere near that only they actually built a cheap device ruined it for everybody yes <laughs> But there now, I went past a Volkswagen showroom yesterday and there was a whole row of ID3s outside the front with all flags all over them. Beautiful. So, and they are, that is a really nice car. I, I've just test driven it. It's great. Well, we're going to get on to that. Um, sorry, yes. Because you have test driven so many vehicles. <laughs> so fully charged, that's listed as the world's number one clean energy and electric vehicle channel. And you started that many years ago, and as yeah. you've been describing. And in fact, I bought my BMW i3 on your recommendation. Fantastic. Wow. Which in Australia, here, that's kind of quite now become quite a regular thing to do. It's less exceptional. But in Australia, that's a major step. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, but isn't it a great car? I mean, it's it is. It's, it's a, a fun car. It's a, it's a yeah. fun car. And, and I think you did it about five years ago. You previewed it and I bought mine about yeah. four years ago. So right. at that stage here in Australia, there are probably only two cars you could buy. So yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. No, it is. Uh, I mean, that the, I think the, the key thing, and I've certainly had time to reflect on it this year because because of having time to reflect, we've all had time to reflect this year, but that it, because we've been doing um, fully charged for 10 years, it actually does chart the transition in a sense, because when I first started it, so the first episode went out in 2010, I was using, I borrowed a Tesla Roadster to do, to sort of create the first episode. Um, and we had it for a, two days, I think. And, and when I brought it back to my house, I, I plugged it into a domestic 
socket like you'd put a kettle in. And it did charge it, but it took forever. <laughs> I think we charged it for 16 hours and it was nowhere near enough. So, and there wasn't anywhere else to charge it. I mean, so we had a really difficult journey back into town. So in 2010, all the reservations that people had about electric vehicles and range and cost and where do you charge them were all completely legitimate. And they really had some weight. I experienced it firsthand, you know, there was nowhere. But on the other hand, you, you know, if you had a plug socket at your house that you could put and you could park a car near your house and plug it in, you could still use an electric car. I'd used one for a year by then, a little Mitsubishi. But yeah, but I mean, those changes now, uh, you know, what, what has changed in that time is, is amazing. And, and how this is what I'm never confident in, in those sort of predictions. But, you know, I know some very well-informed and intelligent people who are really good at maths <laughs> who are predicting this. But for instance, the, in this country, in June this year, so really one of the most dis economically disturbed years since World War II, virtually. In June, the increase in electric vehicle sales in comparison with June 2019, 217% increase. Wow. And in every other category of vehicle, petrol, hybrid, diesel, colossal, phenomenal, chronic collapse of sales. I mean, absolutely the opposite. Diesel in particular is down 90%. On the same month last year so june was this uh, june was our kind of first non-lockdown where you could go into a car showroom and buy a car and there was this explosion in sales of electric vehicles and it's really noticeable on our roads you see far more of them you that's know, so phenomenal isn't it if you miss the beginning i'm speaking with robert llewellyn founder of fully charged you know if you buy a petrol car it, it's not an asset is it you just you might as well no, throw it away at the end of it because no one yeah. will want to buy it in five years time no. No, that is a really key thing. I think people haven't quite clocked. I think they have with diesel in this country, but they're still hesitant. So we're involved in the kind of government discussions about bringing forward the banning of the sales of new combustion vehicles. So at the moment, it's, it's uh, 2035, so it's 15 years. But I think that is going to change. And that is a critically important thing, you know, because that doesn't mean you if you've got a diesel car in the UK in 2035 doesn't mean you can't drive it. You can drive it forever, yeah. but you can't buy a new one. Yeah. And that's, and so, you know, that, I mean, my argument at the moment is, is very strongly, and it's, I won't win, is a car with a plug doesn't count. It's a car with a plug and no combustion engine counts because the manufacturers, I just love the way they operate. You know, they go, yeah, this is a beautiful green car, yeah, but it's got a petrol engine. Yeah, but it's a self-charging hybrid. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It doesn't. It burns petrol to charge. Yeah, just yeah, amazing know. how they'll do. They will do anything. They will spin it in any which way. And it is difficult. I'm, I do find that awkward because I know now a lot of people in the automotive industry. I didn't ten years ago. I didn't know any, and I like them. They're they're brilliant, and especially the engineers are amazing. The engineers always jump at the chance to make something really difficult work, like electric cars. It was a, you know, a big challenge. What? But the way they've changed in that time is. And how much they've improved is extraordinary. And you would have seen a lot of improvements over those 10 years. Tell me, what are the cars now that you really would recommend? Oh, my goodness. I mean, well, I mean, yesterday, we're not, we're, I can mention it because we're not allowed to put it out yet, but it, people know about it. Um, I, I test drove the Fiat 500e, so a really small city car. And that has, so if you compare that with the Nissan Leaf of 10 years ago, so I have the 10-year-old 
the original Nissan Leaf. That has a 24 kilowatt hour battery. You don't need to know anything about electricity. Just remember the number, 24. And it's, you know, it's a car that's a similar size to a Volkswagen Golf. And it had, when it was new, a range, they claimed of 100 miles. In reality, about 80, uh, 85, depends on the weather. Uh, and this car I drove yesterday, the Fiat 500e, Cinquecento E, <laughs> it's the uh, beautiful, beautiful little Italian car. And that has a 45 kilowatt hour battery, so nearly twice the, the capacity of the Nissan Leaf at about half the physical size and weight. So that's the change that's happened in that 10 years. It's, you know, it's a much smaller car and it has a battery. So that has a realistic range in, in British weather which means windy, raining, hills. You know, in this country, 180 miles is way more than you need for 99.9% yeah. .9 of your journeys. But you could also charge that car very fast at a rapid charger. If you're doing a long journey on a motorway, you could easily do that. In Australia, I admit, because I have experienced that, I drove from Brisbane to Alice Springs in 1989. That's quite a long way. I admit that. Yeah. <laughs> That's further than most electric cars can go on one charge, yeah. without question. <laughs> but, oh, you know, so, but, it, but most people in Australia, as we know, it's the most urbanised uh, country on earth. They, they live in cities and you don't drive that far, even no. in Australia. You know. And look, there have been a number of Tesla drivers and then we had a Dutch Gone around the, oh, right around yeah, Australia with his 200 mile. So it's, yes, it's yeah, yeah. And yeah. it proves that even in Australia, we could have electric cars if we oh, yeah. desired. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, any, anyway, anyway, yes, anybody could anywhere, even in Russia. There are now some people in Russia with electric cars. <laughs> so you, you drive amazing cars, but you've also helped educate so many people worldwide, including me, as I've said, about EVs. How many subscribers do you have to your YouTube channel? I have to look at it. It's, uh, uh, seven, it's over. Yes, quite. It's not bad. So about 700,000. I mean, what I, uh, what's been most impressive is the, the views. Our view figures have gone. For, so the first million co combined views of everything, the first million took two years to get to a million. And I was thrilled. Oh, I've done a million views. We now are, we've done it. We had a month earlier this year. We had a million views a week. So we average about 3 million views a month. Yeah. So that's that, and that constantly increases. So that's constantly going up, which is fantastic. And that, um, you know, I mean, I think it's important to point out that, and we've had lots of comments recently from our regulars that they want us to do more stuff that isn't cars. So it always, always my ambition was to not just do cars, but use cars as the sort of the flag that goes, we're over here, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of interest in cars. But the whole point of, fully charged I think is that it's a it's the energy transition so we're seeing this huge global energy transition from dig and burn to to you know I don't know what you call I don't we haven't got a term for it even it's that yeah. new yeah. what do we call you know renewables you can call it renewables or sustainable energy or the circular economy or all these ideas that are coming out now and that, you know that's a critically important aspect of it you know if, mm. if you can't recycle your laptop and phone which is certainly a big thing at the moment then we shouldn't be buying them now we should be pressuring the manufacturers to make this thing that we we all use i want to make i want to know for certain not like that you're doing a greenwash advert i want to know for certain i want to i want to go it's my job to go and see the plant where you smash this thing up extract everything out of it waste the minimum possible 
then I, then I can say we should these are good we can use these so we've recently done a show about battery recycling mm -hmm. which is going to be a massive industry and if I was if I had millions of dollars to invest I'd definitely invest in battery because that is going to grow beyond the scale but that company in Germany who are recycling batteries were disappointed that they were only recycling 94% of the materials in the battery pack they wanted it to be higher and you kind of go you go you know you're doing pretty well 94% but you just know there's that German no that is not good enough we can get to 97 you know? <laughs> <laughs> but 94% so you know show me a gallon of recycled diesel is a fairly good argument. Ah, I like that. Yes, that's, I yeah. love that. And of course, in Australia, we also talk about recycling solar panels because we yeah. have so many of them here. Yeah, it's it's very important that we're able to. It do is that. very important. And there is there is actually I've got a I've got a paper. I was sent a paper earlier uh, last late last week about a recycling solar panel breakthrough where they really are getting everything out of them. So I, I feel I've learned so much in the last ten years that it's the economics that finally drive stuff. So offshore wind in this country is a good example that 10 years ago running a coal plant that you'd already paid for and you were getting cheap coal imported from Poland you know that was that was very hard to economically argue against that it made economic sense that generated power 24 hours a day it was you could turn it up and down you know you had this constant supply of coal coming in on ships from Poland it was all it all worked and it was cheaper than building a really complicated, expensive little wind turbine that wasn't very big. And over the next 10 years, those turbines got so big. <laughs> and there's so many of them. And the wind blows all the time off in, out at sea. It's, it's very, there, are, there are literally some hours of a year where they're not operating because it's wow. so still. But there is literally down to one or two, you know, it's, it's some hours. This is the engineers from the national grid saying this. So you and, only need a that, tiny little battery to tide you over in those few hours. Yeah, yes, exactly. It's, and it's always windy somewhere. But the whole point is that made it so much cheaper than coal. So the economics killed coal. So we now burn no, we don't burn coal to burn to, we're in, we're 0.02% of our electricity, 0 0.02 is from coal now in a, in a year so yeah. it's basically finished coal is dead we know that everyone accepts that across the political spectrum no i'm sorry we don't here in australia <laughs> you're proudly <laughs> hanging on because it, it's yeah but your coal's different i've heard oh, them say it's, it's, it's explained to me it's clean coal very clean i've yes. seen a man holding it up in parliament yeah. yes for all to see that, that's proof Although, do you know that that lump of coal was varnished so that it didn't um, damage his skin? Exactly. <laughs> and he didn't breathe it in. Because... And he didn't breathe it in? Yeah. I mean, that is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. No, I love that. I thought that was a glorious moment. <laughs> Australia should be very proud. <laughs> yeah. And we talk about Trump. Yeah. What's that? I th but I mean, I think this is the thing where I don't, even with Trump, I, I didn't get that depressed because the, it's it, it was almost like a, a, a very popular politician in uh, 1890 saying uh, horses will always use horses for transport yeah. and you go yeah all right and I'm going to I'm going to pass legislation to force everyone to have horses okay pass the legislation then someone's driving a car and it's it goes further it's cheaper it's easy to look after you don't have to feed it you don't have to clean up the shit after it and all the stuff the, the advantages yeah. of that from not using horses and there's still this guy hammering on about we know he's going to fail so when Trump was doing coal, you know, we're going to do coal fracking. Fine, mate, say it. It's utterly irrelevant and you are history. And yeah. we are now seeing that being proved. It doesn't, 
it's too expensive to drill a hole and pump fluid into it and crack the earth underneath it and extract that gas for a few years. And then it stops. All the fracking wells are dried up in America. I mean, it's just such, you couldn't get more short-sighted. I mean, fracking is the absolute, it's like the press conference in front of the Four Seasons landscaping. It's that, it's that horrendous last gasp, utterly corrupt, totally inept, complete stupidity, super, super short-sighted. And thank goodness, because we it caused so many. We don't get earthquakes in the UK. And as soon as they did it, they started fracking again last year. We got a bloody earthquake. And no one, we don't know what they're, we don't even know what they are. We don't have earthquakes. And it does, you know, people just said, no, they've stopped. We don't have it anymore. And it's gone oh, quiet. You don't even hear about it. Really? Oh, that's such, so you don't do gas at all anymore? No. Oh, we, oh, we do. Boy, do we do. We have done it. Uh, gas extraction, but in the North Sea. So uh, yeah. North Sea oil and gas, but that's kind of run out. We, we used all that. We used all that. We spoofed the money up the wall and that's that's all gone. You know, Unlike the, the, the uh, Norwegians who built a this incredible uh, wealth fund for their entire population. No, I don't know where our money went. It just disappeared. Yeah. Well, again, we're 10 or 20 years behind you because we're really doing a lot of gas. And in fact, right. what we do is we export all our gas and make yeah. a lot of money and then we import it so that people like me can use it at home at a much greater yeah. cost. Oh, oh I mean, those sort of... Yes, the macroeconomics of the Australian energy system are very difficult not to just go quiet. I mean, I hear some some of those stories and you just kind of go, huh. <laughs> I can't even, because it's so, you know, punch in the face obvious that it's brutally corrupt and stupid and short-sighted. And let's dig a hole through the coral reef so we can get ships in to take coal to China. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, mate. You go, do you think, no, seriously, just think it through for a minute. I'd have, and it's brilliant. <laughs> You know, I'm sorry, I should not be doing my very bad Australian impression on an Australian <laughs> radio show. I have spent quite a lot of time there. <laughs> well, that's right. I, and I I, uh, I know that you, you visit regularly and you said just before the show that your wife is Australian. Um, yeah. But I was actually going to ask you whether you're just fascinated by a country that has the worst EV uptake in the Western world or is it something <laughs> else? I think, well, no, it is. It, it's, there's some love and children involved. So I've got two Anglo-Australian kids. Sadly, that's where we have to leave Robert Llewellyn, founder of Fully Charged this week. But tune in next week for the second episode of three of his adventures with renewables around the world. The Beyond Zero Science and Solutions show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.